0: Hello, my name is Jeremy Sims, and we're going to be taking a look at the book of Galatians today. And as we do, specifically, we're going to look at Galatians chapter one. And the main thing being expressed here is Paul the Apostle is trying to get across to the Galatian churches the idea that he does have credibility as an apostle and as someone who knows the gospel. As we're looking at this, I think it has some good lessons for us on how we can have credibility as Christians. And yeah, that's the basics of it. So What's the deal? Why is Paul writing this letter? Well, it ties into a big controversy that was happening at the time. Gentiles had been getting saved. They had been becoming Christians. And a a controversy arose where some of the Jewish Christians were saying, look, Christ is the Jewish Messiah. He's for the Jews. He's not for the Gentiles. So if the Gentiles wanna get saved, they have to become Jews. And if you're going to become a Jew, then you have to keep the Mosaic Law. Paul had established many churches in Galatia, and now the Judaizers had come behind them and started saying, Paul, he doesn't always talk about he wasn't a real apostle. He just learned the gospel from the other apostles, and he messed it up along the way. He's just somebody who likes telling people what they want to hear, and he's telling people they don't need to follow the Mosaic Law because he thinks that'll be easier for them. Um, and by doing this, they were spreading a false gospel, and Paul is not happy. So he writes, if you want to look at the whole big picture of Galatians, what he's saying throughout that entire book is, one, I am to an apostle, and I do know the gospel. Two, um, it's all about faith, you dummies, and trust in Christ. It is not about following the Mosaic Law. And three, he says, you know, now that we don't follow the Mosaic Law, here's how you live life as a Christian, not bound by the Mosaic Law. So that's kind of the one, two, three of the book of Galatians. Here, we're just covering the first chapter, and we are in one, where he's just trying to establish his credibility as an apostle. As we go through this chapter, we're going to see him basically say, at the beginning, hi. And then he's basically going to say, I'm angry at you and you messed everything up. <laughs> and then at the, he's going to start getting into establishing his credibility as somebody who knew the knew the gospel independently and was a genuine apostle. So we're going to go ahead and read the entire chapter. And after we read to the end, we'll start back at the top and just start taking it verse by verse, making sure we're understanding what it says and and having some, some interesting thoughts along the way, hopefully. So, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me, preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Silica. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. All right, so let's go back up to the top. Now, in this first section, Paul is just basically doing his standard greeting thing. But even as he does this, he's making some some important points along the way. It's kind of just high, but then it's kind of more than high, and you'll see what I mean. Let's, let's go over this again. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, first words out of his mouth. He's not hes not just picking these words at random. He says, Paul, an apostle. <laughs> he just, like, throws it out first thing. And again, this is one of the primary things that the uh, Judaizers are accusing Paul of being wrong on. He, they're saying he's not really an apostle, and Paul is, like, coming out of the gate swinging, Yaha, huh, I am you better believe it. And he even goes further and says, not from men nor through man, okay? He's trying to make it very clear. I don't have my authority. I don't have my position because I was given that by another person. I did not derive my authority as an apostle from the other apostles. He makes it explicitly clear It was, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he just wants to make sure they understand it's coming directly from Jesus. And that's the main emphasis of this chapter, and we see this carry on into the second chapter. He's trying to let them know, hey, when I tell you the gospel, I am able to tell you the gospel because it is directly from Christ. I know it hasn't been goofed up by me, in part because I heard it directly from God, which is logical and fair. Um, So, yeah, he's talking about being an apostle, and you can tell, uh, at least I think and hope you can tell, uh, he is very passionate about defending this. And I think this is very important. He's saying, I am called to this. and I'm going to make sure you understand this. I am not messing around with this. And I want you to think about that in terms of what, what have you been called to do? Do you know the answer to that? If the answer is nothing, then that's the wrong answer. Uh, if the answer is I don't know, that's probably also the wrong answer. Uh, each and every one of us, if nothing else, has been called to rule over ourselves. We've been given the ability to make choices and to be responsible for for living our lives to God. Now that we are, you know, redeemed by Him, we belong to Him. So, if nothing else, you have the authority to rule over yourself. Of course, you're supposed to use that power, I guess maybe I should say, to submit to God's authority. But, you know, managing yourself is no small thing. (laughs) And of course, all of us have been given much more of that. We should be doing everything we do uh, raising our families, raising, uh, you know, doing our jobs to help others, but not just that. Not only is that our role, that we should take seriously and realize it's a God-given gift to have any authority, any power, any impact or effect on other people. But also, I don't believe it's just limited to that. I believe God has a specific role for each and every person in the church, something specific that he wants everybody to do. Do you know what that role is? Do you have something that you can say, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to take it seriously, and I'm going to defend it. Not in a prideful way, not in like, you know, not not to flaunt it over other people, but be like, no, I know what God has told me to do. And my authority comes directly from him. And if you don't like that, you got to take it up with him. If you don't have that, that is a problem. So be thinking about that. You can't have Christian credibility if you aren't taking your own role as a member of the church. Seriously, Paul for sure was. Um, and you'll notice he, says, he talks about his authority coming from directly from God. And then the next thing says, and all the brothers who are with me. All right, so this is a greeting and this is somewhat standard. So maybe we shouldn't make too much of it. But also he's calling them out on an error that this Galatian church had gotten caught up in. And I think part of this might also be him saying, hey, I am not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for the church. We are in agreement that you guys are going off the deep end. You guys are having some problems. To the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ so think about this he's just in the intro this is actually all one big sentence and he's already giving the gospel in that sentence he's saying it's about grace you dummies grace to you and peace from God our Father this was also a way to this was also a way to greet people um, but he's throwing that out grace and peace Paul mentions grace more than any other New Testament writer uh, combined. Um, he is constantly talking about grace. Who gave himself, and if that wasn't explicit enough about the gospel, check out this next part in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, he's putting on, it's a gift, it's not works. He's trying to make that clear. One other thing to keep in mind is he, he points out, you know, uh, deliver us from this present evil age. This age is still still evil. Uh, and something else, if we're going to be credible as Christians, is not only to know that we have a specific role and to take it seriously, but also to realize this world this, that we're living in is evil. If you don't get that, you've lost sight of the mission. So that concludes the the high section of his letter, and then he gets into the "I'm angry at you" section of the letter. And what's funny is Paul has a certain pattern. He, he always kind of does a similar thing where he starts off with a greeting and then he'll just kind of say some other nice things like say hi to this person this church or I, I love you guys. You guys are fantastic and wonderful. I think he does that in literally every other epistle he writes. Not here. <laughs> Check out what he says here. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Um, So he's kind of, he's coming out swinging. He is not happy with them at all. Uh, He says, I am astonished, you know, such strong letter words and deserting him who called you. You know, you're deserting Christ here, guys. And you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. I love that he says that, you know, gospel itself means good news. And what is the good news? It's good news that you cannot pay—well, the bad news is that you cannot pay for your sins. That's the truth for everybody. But the good news is Christ paid for your sins and made a pathway for salvation for all those that trust in him. Not just a pathway. He will save all those that trust in him. Um, So that is the good news. And here Paul says, there is no other gospel because there is no other you know, way of getting saved that is good news. It's either that God did all the work for you, or you have to work for it. And if you have to work for it, that's bad news because you can't measure up. Also see here towards the end he says, but there are some of you who some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Notice that the important thing here isn't that it's just Paul's gospel, it is also the gospel of Christ. And now let's go on to verse 8 and see just how seriously Paul treats the gospel of Christ. It says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So it's kind of a weird thing, right? He's saying, We gave you the right gospel. Don't change from that. But he uses this weird example, right? Even if an angel from heaven should preach to you. Why is he talking about an angel from heaven? Sounds a little funny, probably, to our ears. Well, uh, a couple things to think about this. First of all, he's trying to be take the most extreme example, right? He's saying that even if the skies open, an angel comes down and says, look, here's the real gospel. I'm going to tell you the real deal now. He's saying even in that ridiculous extreme circumstance, still... Stay true to the real gospel, which is what we delivered to you. It's what I taught you, is what he's trying to say here. But on that same note, um, he might also be talking about literally, if another, <laughs> if an angel comes down, don't believe it. And again, that seems a little strange from from our common everyday experience. But... Uh, did not, the in the Garden of Eden, was it not an angel that came down, uh, presumably, from heaven? Don't know exactly where he was at the time. There's some debate as to what the timeline is of of when Satan fell. But he was, at one time at least, a heavenly angel. He came down to earth, and he said, hey, uh, what you heard before, what you thought was the truth, that's not quite right. And they twisted it a little bit. He twisted a little bit. And that's not the only time. Um, You know, the uh, we're all f- familiar with Islam, presumably. Well, how did Islam get started? According to Muhammad, um, it got started by the angel Gabriel, supposedly, coming to Muhammad and giving him a new revelation. Um, in the case of uh, Joseph Smith and Mormonism, um, you know, Mormons these days generally call themselves Christian, but they got some some really different beliefs. And part of that comes from, um, they believe that uh, the angel Moroni gave... Uh, Joseph Smith, the guy who started Mormonism, golden tablets that had, you know, a secret new translation or revelation. I forget. I think that's where the Book of Mormon came from, if I'm remembering that correctly. Even these days, there there are charismatic uh, teachers who often call on angels and claim to see angels to get information from angels as justification for their new teachings, things that don't come from the Bible. There's even a guy named Brian Simmons who's a, a big leader of a a big church movement, and also he is doing a supposed translation of the Bible, the Passion Translation, and Brian Simmons says that he talks to an angel pretty regularly and he gets all sorts of information from this angel, Uh, and I don't know if this was supposedly from the angel or supposedly from God, but this Brian Simmons guy who has this very popular Passion Translation Bible, um, supposedly Bible, uh, I would urge you not to treat it like Bible because I don't think it is, uh, I think it's too distorted, but he is claiming that he has a new revelation of a uh, extra chapter to the gospel of John. So maybe when Paul says, even if another angel comes along, if an angel comes along and gives you another gospel, don't believe him. Maybe he just literally means if an angel comes along, don't believe him. You know, with all these people we mentioned, it's a very good chance they might be making stuff up or deluded, but it could also be that they're some sort of spiritual beings they're making contact with and and we don't want to mess with that. Um so what about uh let's go back to that verse. What exactly does it say again? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. Now what does this word accursed mean? Uh it's basically if you know the Roman Catholics have a term called uh, excommunicate. It doesn't get used much outside Catholicism, but it is a, a biblical idea at least in the sense of if you are breaking what Paul seems to be laying out here is if you are breaking with the gospel if you are not representing the gospel you are outside the church there is a hard line being drawn there you know the equivalent word this is the New Testament so it's written in Greek Greek but the equivalent word in the Old Testament gets used quite a few times um, and when it talks about something being accursed it's talking about something that is set apart from to be destroyed, that it is of no value. You can't even go there and touch it anymore. It is set apart for destruction. This is very strident, powerful language Paul's using here to describe his, his frustration, not just his frustration, but the consequences, the serious consequences of breaking from the gospel. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He just literally repeated himself over again for emphasis. Now a couple things to notice this. It says let him be accursed. It doesn't say curse him. So the deal is not that we are supposed to bring people down, rip them apart. Um, That's not our job. But it is to realize if they are on this path, it is a path of destruction. And to call that out and and call spade a spade. And on that note, I, I can't help but think that I suspect many people would hear Paul's voice. If, if we had somebody come into our church or many churches in the United States and said anything close to this, uh, I do wonder if people's feathers wouldn't be a bit ruffled. I'm sure in many places there would be complete outrage. This is extremely harsh uh, and it isn't very nice. Uh, we often seem to think, I think in modern Christianity, that our job is to be nice, like that's the 11th commandment. <laughs> and it's the most important one. Be nice. Um, I gotta tell you, niceness, it isn't actually a Christian value. And I'll probably strike some of you as, as a little odd, but really think about it. Niceness is not Christian. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to be nice. It does say to be gentle and gracious and merciful. This is all true, but not nice. Because what does nice mean? Well, it means to be pleasant and agreeable and just kind of, you know, not ruffling people's feathers. Well, there are times you need to ruffle people's feathers. That's, that's the unpleasant truth. Paul here was certainly not being super nice. Okay? Uh, and let me tell you about somebody that, uh, that I, and also Paul, admire. His name was Jesus. And he went around telling people who thought they were good enough that they weren't good enough. He told people that thought they were wise that they were fools. He went around telling people stuff they didn't want to hear all the time, that the only standard that was perfect and satisfactory was him. And none of that was very nice, but it was true, and it was just. Certainly, Paul, he's not being warm and touchy and feely, right? This is not happy time conversation. But there are times in our lives where we have got to draw a hard line. And Paul says, this is the issue, the most important issue, the thing you just have to get right. And we have to have that in our own hearts. Again, coming back to having Christian credibility, uh, are you somebody that absolutely stands on the gospel, who knows what it is, that knows that it belongs to Christ and you cannot compromise on it. And who is even willing to say, look, look, what you're doing right there, that's, you are accursed. And again, I'm not saying don't be gentle and kind, uh, but I am saying that you also have to be just and faithful. And because Paul, and Jesus, and, and some, especially Jesus, obviously, but because Paul took this hard stand, people were saved from destruction, from believing falsehood. And that is more important than making people feel good. And look at what Paul says right after this in verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul is being so confrontational here. Again, I told you this is a section where he's basically just saying, I'm mad at you. You've messed everything up. (laughs) And and that's why he's saying here. So why is he using such strident tones? Well, I think part of it is that Again, it seems, and we don't know exactly, we're we're reconstructing, but it seems like the Judaizers, the people who were promoting that you had to follow the Old Testament law, were saying, Paul just doesn't, is telling people they don't have to follow the law because it's easier that way. Uh, He's just trying to be a people pleaser. And here Paul is just like saying, oh yeah, I'm a people pleaser. Boom! That was me throwing a Molotov cocktail into your church saying, do I look like I'm making people happy here? <laughs> I don't mind making people unhappy if I'm standing on the truth, I think is what he's getting across here. He says, I am not looking for the approval of man. I'm looking for the approval of God. And this verse, honestly, I think I could talk about this verse for just 10 minutes, but really listen to this. If uh, I, I grew up in a church where some people had a tradition of having life's verse, like they would pick one verse to be... You know, something they went back to routine, routinely in their life to kind of anchor them. And I don't do that, but if you want to do that, this would be a great verse for, I think, many of us. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We have all got to decide whether we actually want to please God or we just want to please man. You know, I am not personally the biggest people pleaser. Uh, I I tend to get in trouble more for not taking into account people's (laughs) uh, feelings more than being too sensitive to them. But some of you guys are. Some of you guys are super sensitive. You got really soft hearts. And that's not wrong. That's a good thing. Um, It's something that, you know, it's neither good nor bad. It It can lead to problems, just like my sometimes insensitivity can lead to problems. It's something you have to keep an eye on. The thing is, though, Some of you would rather bend over backwards than offend someone. And I think that's a real problem for the church. I think we have that deeply in our DNA these days, and we need to grow a bit of a backbone. And we do have to ask, are we really going to please God, or are we going to please man? I think that question is already being put to us these days in in our country that is quickly, you know, statistically provably, um, getting further away from God quicker than ever. Um... And uh, if this trend continues, those pressures are going to get stronger and stronger. You're going to have to make this decision. Who are you actually following? And also, remember, he ends it with, I would not be a servant of Christ. So keep in mind, again, what is your role? What are you doing? Do you know what your mission on this planet is? What What you do every day for God? Are you keeping that in mind? Are you serving God in all your actions? Do you have a particular role in the church? Why not? Paul took his responsibilities seriously so let's recap real quick Paul basically just said hi and then he said you guys really messed up the gospel but now in this latter half of the chapter he's going to get into explaining why the people the Galatians should listen to him and he's trying to build this case that he has his authority directly from God and his understanding of the gospel directly from God so let's take a look at verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's this about? Again, he's trying to say, I got this directly from God. It's not man's gospel. I didn't get it passed on to me from another man. It is directly from God himself. Uh, And we really have to keep that in mind that, that the reason the gospel is so important is that it is not just man's interpretation. It is God's absolute truth, and God is the absolute standard for truth. We either agree with him or we're wrong. (laughs) Those are the two options. Um, But yeah, what is he trying to get across here? Well, he's saying he didn't receive it from any man, nor was he taught it, but received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? Well, we don't have time to go into it all beat for beat, but uh, in Acts, it talks about Paul's conversion. And you'll remember Paul was persecuting the church. He was taking men and women who believed in Christ and executing them um, because he believed they were betraying the Judaic faith. On his way to persecute even more Christians, he had this vision of Christ. He saw Christ talk to him and Christ said, why are you persecuting me? Uh, And Paul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you persecuteth. And he immediately realizes, uh uh-oh, I've done messed up. So he's saying his understanding of who Jesus is, the nature of who Jesus is, came from a direct revelation. He did not get it by talking to other people, per se. Now, really think about this for a second. Paul wasn't just a neutral party towards Christ. He was actively opposing Christ. And that's true of you as well. You know, I keep on trying to say, how do we have credibility as a Christian? Well, one of the things is... To actually be a Christian, uh, Paul had been taught a lot of things in his faith, a lot of stuff that was true that uh, was based on the Old Testament, partially obviously mixed with a bunch of falsehoods as well, uh, since he missed Christ, which is a, you know pretty big whoopsie. Um, but you know he he had been taught a lot of things, but him being taught and being the Jewish people, uh, part of the Jewish people, and all these different things didn't count for anything. He still had to come to encounter with Christ and make a decision for himself to accept Christ, to, to believe in Christ. Uh, and that's true with all you guys as well. And even though hopefully no, none of us hearing this have been murdering Christians, we are just as much enemies of Christ before we are saved. Uh, that's what the Bible says. It says we are children of the devil. We are fundamentally opposed to God in our natural state before he saves us. Notice again that Paul makes a distinction between what he's heard from man and what he hears directly from Christ. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was in a very unique circumstance. Most of us don't get to see Jesus personally, hear a voice from God personally, but Paul was. Now, but notice he makes a distinction between what he saw from God and what he heard from other people. We can learn a ton from other people. That's a big point Of the church is to grow together as a community. But you have got to make a distinction between what you have been taught from whatever source and what you hear from Christ. And though most of us aren't seeing Christ in the flesh, presumably, or hearing directly in terms of an audible voice from him, he has given us his word, the Bible. And that is what we have to look at and know and study so we know what is actually true and what is just falsehoods that we've been taught verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Uh, This part strikes me as pretty funny because, remember, he's trying to get these people to listen to him. And can you imagine if you were trying to convince people to listen to you, would you bring up the fact that you used to murder them? (laughs) Probably not the best way to win friends and influence people. But I think this is really telling to Paul's character here because he is coming straight out with, you know, the deepest, darkest, parts of his life and bring those to the forefront and saying, look, this was some nasty, horrible stuff I did. And let's go ahead and look at it. This is, this is a bad stuff. He's not hiding from it. He's not pretending to be something he's not. He's genuine. Uh, Something else that I think really helps us have credibility is when we are able to be honest about our faults and our flaws and those parts of us that aren't beautiful and wonderful. Um, not that we necessarily always have to push those to the forefront and, and you know, bring up all the things we have in our past that we're not too proud of, but to acknowledge that they exist, um, to admit them when, they're, when it's relevant. Uh, and the most important thing is I've heard people who have bad testimonies, who have horrible things that they did in their past that are, are ashamed of it. Um, and the solution to having a bad testimony is not to hide from it. The solution is to let God work in you and transform that. Because notice, Paul doesn't say, this is my current life. He says, this is my former life. This is who I used to be. If God is working in you, and if you want that credibility as a Christian, you should be able to see things in your life, and other people should be able to see things in your life that are improving, that are getting better. The solution to bad testimony is not to hide it, but to allow God to transform your life. Paul continues with his testimony in verse 14, saying, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Uh, there's lots of interesting things here. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. He was. He was an up-and-comer. his uh, We learn in different places that his teacher was, I believe you pronounce it Gamaliel or something like that. Uh, he was one of the most prominent teachers in all of Israel, one of the most respected rabbis. He was um, a Pharisee, uh, which was a fairly elite group. Uh, his Gamaliel sat on the Sanhedrin, which was sort of like a ruling body for the Jewish people, um, political and religious to some some extent. Definitely religious to some extent, political as well. So he was an up and comer. He was going to be a big guy. And uh, in addition, to just trying to give his testimony, I think something's trying to put out here is saying, "Look, I was going places." By a left all of that behind when I met Christ. That all stopped. Uh, And no longer was that my purpose. Again, it comes back to that, I'm, I'm not interested in pleasing man. That comes back to what we was talking about earlier, said, I left it all for the cause of Christ. And of course, that's something we need to be able to say in our life too. Whatever our ambitions are, whatever we think we're moving towards needs come to a stop if it comes into conflict with Christ. I also think, uh, you know, when I first read this passage, for some reason, something that leapt out at me, perhaps more than anything else in this entire section, is this, this other part. He talks about, you know, how he's advancing more than other people his own age. Um, but then it says, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And that just really struck a chord with me. Uh, And of course, he's talking about this tradition that was passed down among the Jewish people. Some part of that tradition being, I assume, the Old Testament, but also they added all sorts of Old... uh, In addition to the Old Testament laws, they added a bunch of uh, traditions they kind of layered on top of that. Um, So Paul is saying here, you know, I really know this Old Testament law stuff that you're so crazy about that you think you now need for salvation. So that's what he's saying there. But also... I think why this resonates with me is it makes me think of how many traditions have I been passed down by, you know, not just my physical father, but my spiritual father, my emotional fathers, those people that were influential in my life. I want you to think about that. What what have your fathers passed on to you? Was it all good? Maybe some stuff you're real passionate about, but is it really what God gave you? Maybe it's not even bad, but is it become the focus of your life? For sake of time, we'll, we'll leave it there. But, you know, we, again, have to make sure we're following God and and him being the primary thing. Moving on through verse 15 and through 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So why are we getting this whole where did Paul go sort of thing? Well, it's pretty simple. He's just saying when God called him, when God set him apart, set him on this ministry to reach the Gentiles, he didn't go and consult with anyone, or more literally that should be with flesh and blood. In other words, he's not talking to people and trying to figure out he made sure that he, he got the gospel right. He was apparently consulting with God in, in some manner. Uh, in some way, it's not exactly specified out. We know he had the revelation of who Christ was on the road to Damascus. Um, but what he's saying here is after he had that moment, we get from Acts that he spent a few days in town with some other believers. But after that, it says he went away into Arabia. This isn't Saudi Arabia as we you know, would think about it. You know, the names of places changes over thousands of years. Uh, at that time, it probably meant he just went into a desert outside of Damascus, a place by himself. Uh, and I don't know. Some people believe that he had, that Jesus appeared to him more and gave him further teaching. I tend to think maybe he just got out there and started studying the scriptures and started kind of putting it together like, oh no, I have messed up so bad. I've misunderstood who Christ is. Uh, And he just kind of started putting together the gospel based on what he had already known of, you know, what Jesus taught. Uh, You know, he was persecuting Christians, so he knew the basics of what the gospel was, but then he had the divine revelation of who Christ was. Maybe he he probably had further divine revelation of Christ and to some extent the Holy Spirit guiding him. He was an apostle, which is a special role for for ensuring the doctrines of the church are taught correctly. That seemed to be given to, you know, Peter, James, and, and the other apostles at this time. But somehow he got it and it was not a man thing. He's just trying to say, I wasn't even around other people during this time. When I was figuring this out, I was not getting it because I was, you know, consulting with other people. And again, a couple other quick points, but he who had set me apart before I was born. Again, Paul is saying, you know, I set apart to be a minister of the Gentiles from the beginning. We are all given something. We are set up, God has a plan for us before we were born of what he wants us to do. Spend some time praying and thinking about what that is for your life. Uh, ask God for guidance. Another thing is, uh, it says, uh, Paul says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. A probably bare translation would be to reveal his son in me that's what most translations go with and that's the thing not only is christ supposed to be revealed to us but also if god's working in your life that's going to be showing in up in you through you people should see god in you moving on to verse 18 Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Now, uh, Jerusalem is, of course, where the church is, is spreading out from. It's kind of the hub of where Christianity started, and it's moving out from there. Cephas is just another name for Peter. So Paul's saying after three years, three years after his conversion, that's when he finally went to meet another apostle, to go to Jerusalem where most of the apostles were. And what he's trying to say again is, look, it was three years before I saw any of these guys. It's not like I was learning at their feet. Uh, and he's trying to address those claims that the the Judaizers were apparently making against Paul, saying he just got his authority from the apostles. And Paul is saying, no, I didn't even see them for three years, all right? Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, I think this is really cool. Um, you know, you got Peter, james and paul all together here um and it reminds me of like the first avengers movie where you had thor and captain america and iron man all on in their individual movies and then they come together for like phew, a big avengers crossover <laughs> and i guess as kind of like a bible nerd it's just fun to think that these huge people were were mingling together for just a brief amount of time um but yeah back to the stuff that's actually important um James, this is James, uh, I believe they call him James the Just. It's the brother of Christ. Uh, He appears to have been the head elder in Jerusalem. There's a lot of evidence based on who gets to make the final say in a couple things in Acts and uh, the way he's mentioned prominently here and some other things that indicate that he was probably the chief leader of the church in Jerusalem. Verse 20, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. (laughs) This is kind of a random outburst, it seems. But, you know, I keep on saying that the Judaizers were saying Paul was lying. Well, how do we know that? We don't have records of the Judaizers. Well, that's true. However, what we do have is we, we have this as Paul's response to them. So if he's going out of his way saying, I'm not lying here, guys. I really didn't consult with the other apostles. Uh, on my understanding of the gospel well clearly somebody must be saying that clearly this is what the Judaizers were accusing Paul of of not knowing what he's talking about so you can kind of understand why he's being a bit defensive here uh, and another thing just come back to how how to be credible, have credibility as a Christian simple but important don't lie we need to be people uh, that are grounded in the truth we need to be have that in our very DNA every word we speak needs to be grounded in truth Moving on to verses 21 and 22. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Silica, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So he's just continuing to hammer home the point that saying, I wasn't even around Jerusalem. I was literally in three years, was only there for 15 days. And then after that, I went around to the areas of Syria and Silica. Now, just so you kind of know where that is, if you want to picture the Mediterranean Sea, Israel is on the southeastern side of the, you know, Mediterranean Sea, Uh, whereas these areas are like the northeastern. So he's saying uh, north to northeastern. So he's saying, I was like hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. It's not like I was just sitting out there getting my doctrine from Jerusalem. I got this independently, directly from Christ. Verses 23 and 24, they only were hearing, hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So here he's saying, you know, they didn't even know who I was in Jerusalem, really. Uh, You know, I barely met anybody there, barely spent any time there. And they just heard that, you know, the person who used to persecute the church is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Um, Which, what an amazing thing that is. Think of the radical forgiveness that is entrenched there. We we just kind of skim right over it, or at least I tend to. But when you really get your head in it, think about... Uh, Imagine at our church at Creekside that somebody executed Mikey, (laughs) like took him out and beat him to death with rocks. And then that person shows up to church and is like, sorry, I'm a Christian now. And you accept him and welcome him into the church. And not only that, but give glory to God for the work that God has done in that person's life. That's the kind of love and generosity and kindness and forgiveness they had. And again, let's point back to you know, what do you do when you have all this nastiness in your life, all these past sins, which all of us to one extent or another have? Um, what do we do with that? Well, again, if we allow God to transform us, to change us, then that doesn't become a thing of shame. Or it might be still shame for us, but overall it's still a thing of glory to God, what he has done in our lives. We really need to check our own hearts, uh, both to see if we're, we're too prideful to to let God transform us, to work through us in that way, But also, do you have that heart? Would you be able, if if that situation were to happen and somebody were to murder, you know, your friend, your child, would you want that person to come to God? Would you, seriously? Because that is the heart of love and compassion that we are taught to have by God. And if we don't have that, then we don't have the heart of God. So one final, uh, so that's the entire chapter we've made it through. Woo, I hope you like that. Let's do a quick recap before we move on. Basically, you know, the Galatians are saying, you got to follow the Old Testament law and you don't need to listen to that crazy Paul guy he doesn't know what he's talking about. And Paul is saying, you know, he kind of does his little greeting, but even in that greeting, he's sharing a little bit of the gospel as he goes along. And then he tells them, you know, you guys are really messed up. There is no other gospel. It's either the good news or it's bad news. And then he starts building the case as to why exactly people should trust him how his gospel comes directly from God, how he has not been, you know, just he doesn't have derivative authority uh, derived from the other apostles or other teachers in Jerusalem. He's saying, I got it directly from God. You need to take me seriously, guys. Um, And we're going to see him continue to defend his credibility, to defend his understanding of the gospel uh, in the next lesson. And on the practical end, in terms of just having credibility as a Christian, I think there's a lot we can learn from what Paul talks about in this chapter, we see that he takes his ministry very seriously. He's not messing around with it. He takes the gospel very seriously. And on both those matters, both on his ministry and the gospel, he's willing to take hard stands. He's willing to say hard things to make sure he is standing on the truth, that he is fighting for what is right, for what is true. He's trying to please God rather than man. He knows the difference in what he's been taught and what God says. He admits his failures. He doesn't pretend to be something he's not. But at the same time, he lets God transform him and work through him to redeem those failures. And what we see through all of this is that living a life like this not only gives you credibility as a Christian, but it also gives glory to God.